fierce focus is the intense commitment to a clear vision driven by an unwavering belief in one's own ability to achieve it. That's where we want to get. And the only way to get to this place of fierce focus is when we allow our intuitive internal voice to reign over everything else, knowing that that has just as much, if not more weight for our own reality than anyone else's voice. Welcome to Enoughness. This is Lisa Carmen Wang, U.S. national champion and Hall of Fame gymnast turned serial entrepreneur. This is a show that dives into the deeply personal stories of top business leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and athletes who share the defining inflection points that help them embrace their life's purpose and answer the question, how much is good enough? I'm so grateful to be here with you for another episode of Enoughness. Today's episode is really special and it's different from our typical interviews. It is a recording of a coaching session that I lead for a group of incredible female leaders. Every month, I meet multiple times with this group of women to work on everything from personal challenges with confidence to professional challenges, like owning your voice in negotiations, leading from a place of strength. So today's coaching session was about the topic of enoughness, and we really dug into some of those narratives that are no longer serving us. This idea of being a victim and how we can leave that behind so we can actually come from a place of abundance. We talk about ways in which enoughness or lack thereof shows up in our bodies and how we can really listen to that and our own intuition as we go and lead our lives on a day-to-day basis. So this is a really intimate conversation. It's a coaching session, so you'll also get a glimpse into my coaching style, which is really around asking powerful questions and reflecting back observations that I'm seeing from the women that I work with. And if coaching is something that you are interested in, feel free to send me a note at my website, lisacarmenwang.com slash coaching. I would love, love to hear from any of you. I hope this session is helpful for anyone who's listening and a reminder that you are never alone and that you are enough. I started diving into the concept of enoughness probably in 2016, um, actually having that word to explore um, and realizing that my limiting belief around enoughness was, I mean, was, was that I was not enough. But what the other thing was that I realized was every narrative that we tell ourselves has some benefit to us in the moment. So when people play victim, you know, sometimes they're not even aware that they are the victim, but in some ways being the victim is actually helping them. But the question that I would want to pose to you as you think about it is how are these feelings of not enoughness actually benefiting you subconsciously? You know, in what ways, because you wouldn't hang on to a story if it didn't in some way help you continue a habitual pattern um, that is normal in your mind. So one thing that I realized with myself was, you know, in my mind, I thought, 
well, if I don't feel like enough, I'm, how is this helping me? I'm playing small. I'm not using my voice. I'm not authentically promoting myself. I'm not uh, owning my wins or my accomplishments. And then if I thought about that, I said, well, why am I not letting go of that story? And when someone else asked me, well, how is that narrative actually serving you subconsciously? I realized, well, by feeling not enough, the pattern that I had created for myself was I worked harder and I did everything I could to get straight A's, to get gold medals, to get the right job, to get the right investors, to get you know X, Y, Z. And when I did, I got that quick dopamine rush of another checkbox, you know, another accomplishment. And the way the feeling of not enoughness actually served me was it told me I wasn't enough. Then I worked myself to the ground. And even though it was to a detriment of my health, I eventually was successful by doing that. And when I got that success, I got the dopamine hit. And so it would bring me back into this cycle of, okay, let's make her feel not enough again. And there was this fear of probably subconsciously, if I stop, does that mean I'm lazy or I'm settling or I'm becoming apathetic? Um, And so having that awareness is the first step of uh, tackling enoughness. And we've done a lot of awareness work here, but I want to turn it over to you guys, uh, anyone who wants to volunteer uh, and think about how this feeling of not enoughness is actually benefiting you on a subconscious level and what you can do to release that. I'll jump in. I mean, I think mine is kind of similar as you're saying it. By playing that story in my mind, I then do work really, really hard, but it benefits me because I don't have to say no to things. Or it benefits me because I don't have to actually take the time to to prune and to remove uh, extra things in my life. So is it, on the one hand, avoidance of conflict? A little bit. Some of that. Avoidance of conflict, avoidance of like being honest with myself that I'm doing too much, all of the above. (laughs) And when you say you, then you don't have to prune, you don't have to look in the details. So is there some part of you that feels it's easier to take on more than to say no and prune out some of the things on your plate? Yeah, it's so easy for me to say yes and just take on more. But the idea of having to tell a client, I'm sorry, like you're too small for me now or in a nice way. Um, or you know what, I'm passionate about this, but... I just don't have the bandwidth or the capacity because I also then, you know, I'm maybe spending time on things that aren't going to give me a bigger return later. It's playing small too, but I think it's more about the convenience of not having to prune and say no and avoid conflict. And have you found that you've been able to find ways or you're more aware of times when you're allowing those personal boundaries to be crossed? Not really well. So would you say that's still your main challenge? You know, it's like my husband will be the one to tell me, oh, that you're doing too much or you're just, you know, you're trying to prove something. And I'm like, no, I'm not. But he knows me well enough to know that that's what it is, you know. What are you trying to prove? I, I wonder if it's more the dopamine thing, like you said. Like, I mean, I left my career 
I left corporate America almost two years ago. And the plan was that I was going to take some time off to rest and relax. And within six weeks, I had a business like already moving. And my husband's like, you were supposed to take a few months off. In my mind, I was taking time off. Like I was resting sort of, but it's kind of a sickness. I don't know. Okay. So for you, Jessica, we've got saying no, taking on too much and not relaxing. That's some of the not relaxing, not taking time to celebrate your wins. Cool. We'll come back to that. And let's hear from someone else. My dad told me when I was fairly young as a little girl that he was very disappointed that I was a girl and not a boy. And that was a narrative that really played through my whole life about I'll be successful enough and better than a boy. You know, I'll start my own business. I'll do this. I'll be, you know, the CEO. I'll be the inventor, all this kind of stuff. And I remember how hurtful that was. And yeah, so looking back, possibly it was a motivator. Looking back again, could there have been other more healthy ways of feeling motivated and enjoying the success rather than feeling um, kind of whipped to be the boy that I never could be. And I was only whipped in my own mind. Believe me, he never said anything more, but just, you know, so is that definitely. And how have you overcome that? Because I think through some of our discussions, you know, part of it was time um, and part of it experience, but uh, how have you been able to come into your own, you know, given that especially a, a father's influence can be so strong. I feel that I've simply matured as a human and accepting that reality is we really don't have influence and power over changing out external events, that all we ever have power to do is adjust our internal perspective. And so to simply be in gratitude for the abundance of the universe and appreciate myself, love myself, not only unconditionally, but love myself the way I used to love my kids. Like I would say to them, oh, I love you so, 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 so much. Well, you know who says it to herself in the morning? Me. I love myself so, 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 so much. And I enjoy that. And I get uplifted by it. So I think it's been um, acceptance that has brought me to this point of allowing his feelings to not impact my behaviors in the ways they did before. I can just cherish him for being the guy he was. Good provider. Yeah. I think that that mirrors something that Sally had said um, at another session around kind of accepting those things, accepting people in our lives uh, who are the way they are and not trying to change or, you know, frustrate ourselves because we're trying to shape them into something that they're not ready to be. Nope. We can mold chocolate, but not people. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, anyone else like to share? I think I'm along the lines of Jessica where like, as she was talking, it's the, just like the fear of confrontation. Like if I just keep work, especially like in my old corporate role with my boss, like I'm just going to show her I'm enough and how smart I am because I can't really tell her that like, I don't agree with her. What she's doing is wrong or this isn't helpful. This project is stupid. Like you, that just wasn't the place for it. 
So I tried to overcompensate by like the things that I knew we should be doing, doing really good at those, just so I didn't have to have that uncomfortable confrontation with her that would be useful anyways. I mean, unuseful. (laughs) Have you found any strategies recently to assert those boundaries? Well, I think now, I mean, I'm in a completely different world. Now I'm in the startup world and I just have, I remind myself like every day, like you wouldn't be here if you didn't know what you were doing. You know more than everybody about what you're doing. You know, take the authority that you have over your role and, and be strong in that. And I just, it's that, you know, not even daily, but, you know, sometimes before big meetings, just the reminder of like, they put me in this role for a reason and they trust me. And I do know more than most of the people about, you know, my base and, and sphere and just you know, like staying strong. And that has really helped. Even taking note of what other women are saying about, you know, some of these realizations, I think that's, that's really part of the power of having these sharing sessions because um, one, we realize, especially when it comes to things like feeling small enoughness, not being able to say no, avoiding conflict, um, that it's actually a, a universal thing, right? And it's especially something that afflicts women. But, you know, the, the feeling that I start always start having is when you hear other women who are saying essentially what you're feeling, you're like, how in the world does she not see how incredible she is. How how can she not cherish her space and her time and realize what she has? And one really powerful reframe that I discovered was, um, you know, especially for those of us who like to overwork um, and not set boundaries for ourselves between work and life um, and taking on other people's priorities. There was a question of if you ask yourself. If I really loved and respected myself, would I be doing this? And if I really cherished my time, would I allow this? Would I do this? And these are things as simple as staring at your phone screens. Um, I know that I've had bad habits and I often slip into this where the first thing I do when I wake up is I look at my phone. The last thing I do before I go to bed is I look at a screen and um, that does affect my sleep. And that was the moment where I said, well, if I really loved myself, because I do know on some fundamental level that it's bad for me, but why do I keep doing it? And so using this tool of saying, well, if I really cherish my time, if I really love myself, would I be doing this? And if that answer is no, then it's a matter of reevaluating and saying, well, then, you know, what am I, what am I doing? You know, why, why am I treating myself so badly when I say I'm going to commit to this thing, when I say no screens, you know, when I say I'm going to have these boundaries for myself and yet I violate them myself. What is that saying about the standard that I'm holding, you know, my best self to and how I'm treating that woman? That's just something to keep note of um, and notice, especially over these next few weeks um, as you're going after your goals, as you're sometimes procrastinating on those goals um, and asking yourself, you know, what, what is in my best interest, you know, for this woman who I hopefully love. 
I also sometimes forget that I have kids that are also watching me, you know, and learning like what's acceptable. And I do think we learn some of that from our parents. You know, my mom is very much a people pleaser and I don't know, Enneagram. I'm probably saying that wrong, but I, I did it once just to see, you know, it's like, all right, I like to help people and I'm sort of the put everybody else first, but I really think I saw that probably from my parents displayed and I have to pause and be like, wait, I don't want my daughter to observe me not putting myself as a priority because then she's not going to do it. And so I feel a little convicted in this conversation, thinking about the impact to my children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Role modeling. Um, And I think that's, you know, whether that's kids or whether that's, just the one person who's watching your live stream who may be getting value out of it, um, that those are all really powerful reminders. And especially, you know, when we're putting out products and content, you know, as business women, that remembering it's not always about the, the number of people. It's about, you know, it's, we are, we are in the society that says, get as many likes as possible, get as many shares as possible, you know, get as many audience eyeballs on what you're doing. Um, and it's also that reframe of if I can change just one person's life, right? If I can change someone's perspective that day and plant a seed in their mind that shifts the way that they think about something or shifts the way that they act upon or decide on something, then it's worth it for me to do it. So I always think about if you ever have that fear of putting something out, how do you just think of that one person that you could change? Um, And, you know, even Sally with your mentee, right? Like that's a good person to think about. Yeah. And Jessica, what you were saying about being a mom, like my enoughness, like kind of stems from my, my own mother who a thousand times in my childhood said, don't turn out like me, don't turn out like me. And so I learned what I should not be modeling is a woman that marries a man that over time has like a withering relationship and has four beautiful daughters, but is sad inside and is a stay-at-home mom and like left her career as a nurse to take care of us. And then just every step of the way said, don't turn out like me, don't turn out like me. And I think about that a lot because like part of the who I am is to not turn out like her, which means that possibility of marrying someone, having children, being a stay-at-home mom is not possible for me because it has been so deeply taught to me that that's the incorrect thing to be. So I don't even have that as an option because it's like so ingrained in me. And I think that's what I've been trying to like unearth this summer is like, what if that is what I want? Like, what if that is who I am? I I don't think that's the case, but I wanted to leave everything on the table. And my mom has modeled, instead of like standing up for herself and being the truest version of herself, she has modeled, this is what happens when someone doesn't let you be yourself and value you and respect you your whole life. And it's real, it's heartbreaking. And I've watched that my whole life. So I I, I guess I'm the example of your daughter of like, and this, the, I'm obviously an extreme example and that's not what's happening with your daughter, but um, I didn't even know that was happening to me. I didn't know that I was even observing that until I'm in like my early thirties. And I'm like, 
why has mom been saying that my whole life? Oh my God, that's like in me. That is like part of my soul now. And I have to unlearn some of that and have compassion for her. How do you think that story that she's hanging on to is serving her? Well, I think the story that she grew up with was be loyal to your husband. Don't ever divorce. And so she stays in a marriage where she's not respected and instead tries to tell her daughters, don't turn out like me. Just don't do it. Just don't turn out like me as a way of making herself feel better. Like, whereas for as soon as we like knew that they were not a good pair, my sisters and I just said, you guys should get a divorce. I mean, as soon as we were of an age to know that like, this is not a good relationship, we said, you should leave each other. Don't stay together for us. So I mean, I think the serving her is just, it makes herself feel good that she has been a martyr for her whole life. Mm. Yeah, the, the martyr martyrs syndrome is actually very real. And I think that um, what often, it sounds like there's an avoidance of, um, you know, it's of taking responsibility for your life, right? It's um, easier to, that's actually one of the most common things. It's always easier to blame outside forces for the way your life is turning out than to, um, you know, especially with the your mom's generation, it's it's harder to go find a job and make it work for yourself and be single out there and, you know, try again. Um, and in some ways, it I'm sure it brings her comfort, you know, having yeah. daughters and showing how much she's done. Yeah, so much sacrifice. Um, But I guess all I can say is like the power of the parent to the child in what they learn when you don't even know they're learning. Like I didn't, I didn't even, that wasn't something I was consciously battling or taking in. It was like years later that I was like, why, what is happening? Like, what is this that has been repeated in my head for my entire life? Mm. Um. And like, uh, you know, why am I struggling with figuring out who I am? Oh, it's because from a very young age, I was told who not to be. Mm. And I didn't even, I didn't even, wasn't conscious. Yeah. Kelly, last time when we chatted, uh, we asked you what you loved about yourself. And we got to a place where we could say that that self-knowledge that you had was something that we could really respect and support. Um, I'm curious about your take on this enoughness conversation and how you think that narrative might be serving you. Uh, well, so I have the blankness, you know, and sometimes in therapy, they use the trick where if you say you don't know the answer to something, like you're, you know, your therapist asks you an insightful question, you're like, I don't know, then that's actually a clue that there's something there because you're blocked on it. So just listening to this word enoughness, I'm like, I have no idea what this means. I don't even understand. So I'm getting in touch with it through the examples, like certainly martyr syndrome or putting other people's priorities before your own. I think those resonate with me, but um, I don't have this feeling like I'm not enough or I'm, I'm not able to get in touch with that in the, in the moment right now. Uh, I'm kind of going through like a little power surge in my life right now because my habits have changed. Um, I have a very ill dog, which just basically makes me get up every 10 minutes to help him. It's almost like a new mother who has a baby. 
Um, and, you know, he's fine. He just can't really walk. Uh, he can't get himself upright anymore. He needs help. Um, and so that's actually giving, you know, that's improving my health quite a bit because I'm up and down all the time. And then I'm getting back to work in between that. So it's actually improving my focus because it's forced breaks, you know, <laughs> every so often. And then I ha have to sit down and really focus. Um, and so uh, I do feel like right now, I do feel like I can do it all. I am doing it all. I am seeing that. And then before this time period in my life, I was doing things for other people. So I had joined a startup company and was really getting that startup company off the ground for the first three years. Um, uh, and so that, you know, that was very fulfilling, but, um, uh, I felt like I could move mountains, but it was really for another person. Um, and so, so this is the first time that I'm really working on my own projects for myself. I feel like a time pressure to do things for myself, um, and to get like financial independence, you know, uh, for me personally. I went through a very productive stage when I was young and got all the academic accolades and Harvard, Stanford, Dartmouth, you know, A plus, all this stuff, many successful startup companies, um, many IPOs. And then, uh, then I, uh, over the period of my mother's death, I kind of like was kind of like checked out for 10 years or something uh, where I just didn't really achieve too much. So I sort of feel like I'm in a you know, a second act or an early second act to try to appreciate the growth this time rather than just kind of churn through it like I did when I was younger. So, I mean, I think one of the, I mean, the symptoms that's clear of lack of enoughness is that churning, that rushing through, not taking time to appreciate, have gratitude for the now. Um, and this idea of, you know, the future potential, the future payoff, the future goal. And when we are focusing so much on the next thing, even if we're not consciously aware of that lack of enoughness, what focusing on that future constantly is telling us is that the now is not enough. You know, right this moment is not enough. And sometimes it does take those earth shattering um, external occasions, you know, like someone's death to really rattle us out of it and to realize that I think, you know, this is the thing at the end of the day is life is short. When there's no other way for me to think about these things, it is this, re this reminder that, and this balance of it matters, but it doesn't really matter, right? There, those opinions of the people that we care so much about, you know, the, the reaction to the products or the content or the things that we put out there, the people pleasing, you know, other people's agendas. And this question of, is that going to matter five years from now, 10 years from now? Am I going to remember that? Or would this time be better spent going back to the thing that I really care about, right? The number one thing for achieving what it is that you want that's going to, and hopefully those goals are things that will really make you feel fulfilled, um, is having a clear focus and being able to push away the opinions and the people pleasing and you know, everyone else's agendas so that we can focus on the thing that we love. And I define um, this term fierce focus. Um, fierce focus is the intense commitment to a clear vision driven by an unwavering belief in one's own ability to achieve it. And that's what we 
that's where we want to get. And the only way to get to this place of fierce focus is when we allow our intuitive internal voice to reign over everything else, knowing that that has just as much, if not more weight for our own reality than anyone else's voice. Nadine, I see you nodding and I'd love to hear you know, what your thoughts are on that. That sense of groundedness, that sense of balance, that sense of this is my purpose, this is my, this is my joy, declaring it and living it and prioritizing it is the, I guess you could say the perfect counterpoint to enoughness. And so my language used to talk about, I don't have enough time or I don't have enough money or whatever that scarcity was. And so if I take a look at it from a very, you know, analog point of view, the universe is either love or fear. It's very binary, black and white, like computers. There's either enough or there's scarcity. And so when we can live in a world of enough to appreciate the abundance of the universe, that everything is already here. And the only thing we need to do is understand what do we have to adjust within ourselves to attract it like a magnet, because it's already here. Each of us with our head talk and our actions, we're doing something that repels that abundance somehow, some way, because it's already here. And that's why I was nodding, because it is already here. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, it's one of those things that we always need to remind ourselves. uh, And it is so hard when we have the energy to take on things that don't really matter to us in the long run, um, is that the now is enough. And I think that's the, that's the greatest endeavor, right? How do you feel that now is enough? And that that next goal, that next achievement, that next nod of approval is not actually the thing that we are seeking. And so, so this is, this is the, it is a balance, right? Because today we started off by talking about our goals and the goals that we want to achieve. And so I think that there's, from what I have discovered, there's this balance of feeling that you are good enough, feeling that the now is enough, but creating goals that fulfill you as part of your journey from a place of abundance rather than chasing after something from a place of scarcity, feeling like it's going to fulfill a hole in you that um, that's, that's empty because you haven't done it yet. Yes. And in, in fact, it kind of, doesn't it kind of play back to fear of missing out? Oh, I haven't done it yet. So there's a fear right there. It's even called FOMO, (laughs) right? That's all about the scarcity of, and if I could just offer, sometimes I just spend time being present in the moment. And the only thing I need to notice is a butterfly and it just all brings it. And if we're in an office, it doesn't matter. We can, we can enjoy the firmness of the desk and the seat that's beneath us. To just pause and almost meditate on your physical, who you are being at that moment. One of the things that I've been toying with recently in terms of like mindset shifts, and I'm wondering if this overlays to what you're saying, Lisa, is I feel pressure every single day, like self-imposed pressure. There's no one here telling me what to do, what to build, how to go about it, go faster, go harder, no one. But I feel like the weight, like pressure. 
And I've been trying to invert pressure with and change it into opportunity. So the opportunity is like more freeing for me. Like the feeling is more free. The feeling is like, instead of pressure, it's open. And so on the days when I feel pressure or when I feel compelled to like talk about pressure, I'm, I've been trying to think through opportunity. And so I wonder if abundance and scarcity kind of map nicely to opportunity and pressure because that's like the, the physical feeling for me. Yeah, I definitely think taking note of where in your body you feel that pressure. Um, you know, I actually, I talked to uh, a yoga teacher recently and she was just saying how, you know, your body never lies. And as humans who have evolved to believe that our thinking and our logic and these, these illusions that we tell ourselves in our mind are actually more important than our body, um, you know, we can almost convince ourselves that we can think things away. Um, we can think that pressure, we can think that anxiety away. And so I think that paying attention, you know, already to where your body, where you feel that pressure, you know, you, you touched your chest and you're like, feel that like kind of weight right on your upper kind of shoulders, chest area. And that's where you're holding the tension. And so I think, you know, this goes back to a moment that Nadine was talking about, just like breathing into that, right? Breathing into your body. And I think that when we are actually free from this pressure, like your body would release that, right? It would be able to feel that abundance and and be looser. And I, I can say myself that, you know, I'm very tight <laughs> in my shoulder area. So um, it's not something that I've completely solved, but I think it's always recognizing that it's a work in progress and that it's also okay to sometimes feel that pressure and not blame yourself unnecessarily and say, you know, I should be namaste, meditating all the time, feeling great and joyful and fulfilled. Um, so with our time left, I want to just go around and um, ask each of you, what was the most valuable insight that you got from today's session? So I'll start from the, uh, the other side, uh, Nadine, if you could start. I think the most valuable insight I got today was hearing Sally talk about what her mom taught her not to become and understanding the power of who we're being and how that communicates absent language, absent words, even though her mom used words, but who we're being, how that really communicates that emotional sense of whether it's abundance or scarcity, whether for example, as a leader, can you say to other people, can your body language tell other people you're not good enough? You're not up to my standards or something like that. It was very revealing for me to hear Sally talk about that pattern that got really implanted in her brain and how much work it is to deconstruct it and put it in the trash. <laughs> and I can relate because I've done a lot of the deconstruction myself. Yeah. So thank you for sharing, Sally. Jessica? Um, I think two things. I wrote down, uh, you are already here. I think I saw recently somebody had a tattoo um, that said, like, you're already here or you are here or something. A couple years ago, I did a lot of work on just being present because I think there was a period of my life where I was just kind of going through the motions and I wasn't actually in my own body uh, with my family and, and just 
day to day. So that kind of resonated with me because I still think there are times where I have to remind myself that I'm already here. So I think maybe, I don't know, that was a combination of people that said that. Um, and then also just this idea of this fierce focus. Um, my word for 2020 was ironically focus and I feel very unfocused, but I like the idea of more of a fierce focus, which is, it feels like it has more purpose. It's kind of like a destiny or something to, you said, unwavering belief of accomplishment, like this is my destiny or this is what I'm going to accomplish this year. It feels different. So I enjoyed that. Awesome. Jasmine. For me, it was what Jessica said when we were talking about the enoughness and the avoidance of confrontation. I, a couple weeks ago, was talking to somebody and realized that I've been not taking action and not making decisions for fear of going back to a place that I was about 10 years ago and just how horrible I felt. And so it was like that aha of like, you're also trying to be, you know, enough so that you don't have to, you know, so you can avoid confrontation and not feel this thing that you think you're going to feel again, which isn't going to happen. So it was just kind of tying into other things that are going on. Kelly. I know I'm really struggling with this conversation. Um, I feel a little bit separate and, and different in that I'm extremely introverted um, and I am a hedonist in like the hugest way. And so I feel like that I could tend towards inertia. I could read all day long. Um, I could, uh, I could just like, oh my god, I got a, a purloined account to Disney Plus, and I have been like just binging on Mulan and all of these things. So for for me, I sort of feel like when my train starts going, I like, oh my god, get on it because it's not all the time that I feel that life energy and that river of flow, like pulling me to want to do something. So I'm resisting this conversation of saying like, you know, stop and smell the roses. Cause I'm like, no, I've wasted so much time. I can, you know, I know that I could stop and lose decades of, you know, uh, I don't want to stop right now. And so that, so I, I'm sort of struggling with the resistance to today's uh, lesson. Mm. Well, I think that's actually a really great point to bring up because that was one of the early questions that I had from someone who said, well, if you feel like you're enough, aren't you just going to be apathetic? And, and I think that it's actually the opposite of that. It doesn't mean being apathetic and not doing anything and just chilling with the roses. Um, although there's nothing wrong with that if that is what brings you joy. And I think it's actually in some ways the opposite because it's more of a, a way of moving through the world where you can continue to achieve and you can continue to set big goals for yourself, but you can do it in a way where you're not feeling like this, that something's missing or that you're running out of time or that you're running out of money or that, you know, you're not going to get enough approval or, you know, whatever it is, all these other external concerns, but to, ship a product and to put something out into the world while feeling like it's okay, whatever that reception is, you know, in financial terms, in social terms, that I am, I am enough regardless of the outcome of the situation. So Sally, 
or Nadine has something to say. Oh, <laughs> unbelievably. Absolutely. That is, that is on point. I am enough. The outcome is going to be the outcome. And all we can ever do is put ourselves, our passion and everything into it and allow the outcome to simply be what it is. And it doesn't always mean we're going to win. That it's not. <laughs> Oftentimes we don't. But you know, something interesting too, success sometimes looks different from what we expect it to look like. Yeah. And I think particularly in light of COVID, and I just want to kind of share this with other people because it's in my heart. You know, we've been through a pretty interesting period of time in the world. And so I'm wondering if we can allow the overlay of the pandemic and the impact that it's had on truly making the world stop and actually having us pause and be in the moment externally imposed on us. What has that done to our awareness and our consciousness, not only about who we are, but what is our purpose in life? And frankly, what is the purpose of life in general? Forget about what the purpose of my life is. When we look all around us and we just see that the universe is so complete without us and it's so welcoming with us that we're just, we're just part of this energy source. That's, and so that's kind of, for me, that's what's happened with the pandemic is that my awareness of the moment and appreciation and gratitude for life itself has really heightened. And that's fueling a lot of the passion I feel now. And I understand the fierce and the focus fierce focus. And, and there's no, it sounds Janusian, but it's really not. It's all continuous flow. And Sally? When you, Lisa, mentioned kind of this rethinking and reframing and questioning, what's in the best interest for this woman, me? I feel like I can use that tonight and tomorrow and thinking about why am I treating everyone else so well and not treating myself so well? It comes to play, whether it's simple things like I don't want to have sweets after dinner because it makes my makes my sleep not as good. And I know that. And yet I'm still doing that. But I would never want someone else to do that and have bad sleep. So why am I doing that? I mean, it's like really simple and really clear to me. But it's also, I tell myself before I go to bed, like, here's a list of things I'm going to get done in the morning. And then I don't do them all. And like, why am I, what, where's my integrity around doing what I say I'm going to do? I expect that of other people. Why am I not expecting it of myself? I used to expect it of myself. What's changed? So this question of like, what's in my best interest and if I really loved and respected myself, what would I be doing differently? Really, really good questions like that I'll be thinking about all week. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, well, I thought this was a really, really powerful session. Uh, thank you so much, everyone, for sharing so vulnerably. Um, and talking about this enoughness um, topic, which is, you know, something that ebbs and flows and comes back in so many different modalities, but it's, um, it's a never ending challenge, I think, to be in touch with what's present um, and what's actually the right thing for us, especially as um, ambitious leaders in our field. Thank you for listening to the Enoughness Podcast. I created this show to reveal the real stories behind the people we admire, to address this universal question we all have at one point or another. Am I enough? Just remember, you're not on this journey alone, and you do have the power of enoughness. 
If you want to dive deeper and work directly with me to level up in your career and life to unlock the most powerful version of yourself, head over to lisacarmenwang.com or find me on all social channels at Lisa Carmen Wang. I love meeting and supporting my listeners. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you left a review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate each and every one of you. Subscribe, share with a friend with hashtag enoughness, and never forget, you are enough.